If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Effect on every heart in this building as it did on Mary. And it, as it has on countless millions of people throughout the centuries since this time uh, that uh, the initial inception and incarnation of Christ took place. I'm praying that your great mercy will prevail in this sermon and be in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to walk through this text with you. And as we do, I'd ask you to use your imagination and put yourself in the shoes of this Young, uneducated, peasant girl who's living in the backwaters of Israel by the Sea of Galilee. No one would have ever heard of Nazareth. No one would have ever heard of Bethlehem. No one would have ever heard of Mary or Joseph or any of the players in this story had it not been for the miraculous dynamic of it. This is the most spectacular event that has ever happened. And it starts appropriately with an appearance of an angel. How many of you have had an appearance of an angel recently? I'm glad no hands are going up because we would have to commit you probably, to the psych ward for a period of time. This isn't the kind of thing that happens all the time. I know that people love to to toy with the idea that they've talked with angels and picked up angelic hitchhikers and had angels uh, take care of them. I've even toyed with the idea from uh, that Wonderful Life movie. And so, be that as it may, the bottom line is that angels are not common angels. Experience. So right from the opening gun, we are trafficking in unimaginable events and the glory of God manifesting itself. This thing doesn't start casually. It starts with the appearance of an angel. Now, angels aren't little cubic... You know, just a little bigger than a hummingbird and... Uh, Uh, angels biblically generally scare the living daylights out of anybody who comes into contact with them. And this angel, I expect, would be no different. He's Gabriel. He's an archangel. And uh, I'm I'm imagining he probably scaled his appearance down a little so as not to freak Mary out too badly, but I don't think it helped. I think Mary was freaked out. We'll look at that in just a moment. But... Mary is stepping out of the day-to-day mundane existence that she has lived her entire life in into a completely unexpected and supernatural kingdom of God. 
For her, that's vivid because of the appearance of the angel. For the average person, you and I, we've had similar experiences, not involving angels, but involving being confronted with an alternate reality, being confronted with the dynamic. There's a spiritual realm that we miss all the time. And here she is confronted with that, and the angel says greetings. Now, uh, greetings, that word in the Greek literally implies bless, blessing, rejoice. That a Nazarene girl finds herself to be highly favored by the creator of heaven and earth. She's probably one of the most whips her, which is a little extreme. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Mary's not looking for worship. All she wanted to do was deliver a baby. Chosen her for chosen her for faith and a purpose for you. So why faith and a purpose for you? So why Mary, of all the women on the earth, why Mary, of all the women on the earth at that time? And the bottom line is, we really have no idea. We get the ideas, we read from her story, and as it all unravels, we, we, we understand kind of connection to God, and there's nothing that would tell us that, there, tell us that, there, there, that she was somehow set apart by her spirituality. There's nothing to indicate deception here that God chooses whom he chooses. God do that for them. <laughs> God do that for them. God does what he does. God does what he does. Rejoice that God does anything. Rejoice, chose Mary, for whatever his amazing ration. It probably won't matter much by then. For some passion, it probably won't matter much by then. For something inhuman, inhuman. something she couldn't possibly have done herself. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that in our own lives. The angel says to her, you will conceive. <laughs> Whoa. She's just happily enjoying life. She's engaged. Life is good at this point. And then this angel shows up. You know, it came out okay. Wasn't so sure. But it's just, we just want to ease it on. We just want to ease it on. No, your kid's not going to be like any other kid in the neighborhood. No, your kid's not going to be like any other kid in the neighborhood. Your kid is going to be great. And she has no idea what that greatness means. But he's about to kind of pull back the veil a little bit and give her a, a slight insight into it. He says he will be called the son of the most. This poor girl's theology. We read this text with all the familiarity of a newspaper article. But go there in your slots to fit that in, no definite, and we can actually read it and be unimpressed. We can read this statement with our brains intact. These gospel accounts, the most earth-shaking announcement that's ever been made in human history. God himself, human. It's not like the Greek mythology where you know they put on a disguise and just kind of show up and Zeus kind of wanders the streets and and uh, hobnobs with humans. Now this is God himself taking on 
humanity without humanity's fallen nature, without his sin. So for us, who are so acquainted with this story, it's no big deal. But I guarantee, and we can kind of read it, and, and we read into it our own lack of emotion, our own lack of electricity, our own lack of, of absolutely being blown away. That might be how you feel after you've read it for the 50th time, but I guarantee you that isn't how Mary felt. You have an angel of God telling you that you are going to give birth to the Son of God with a completely supernatural effect on all of human history. He says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What the heck does that mean? Does anybody have any idea what it means, the Holy Spirit will come upon you? Of course you don't. We have, we have no idea. We still don't know what it means to this day. With all our scientific progress, uh, with the, the advantage of 2,000 years of hindsight, we still don't really know what it meant for the Holy Spirit to come on her, come on her, and she to conceive uh, without a husband, without any of the natural means. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The only reference of that sort of thing that we have is the, is the presence of the Shekinah glory of God overshadowing the temple and this cloud and this mystery and this fire coming and descending, but that isn't really what he's talking about here. So we don't know what it means for God to overshadow Mary. We don't really know what it means for the Holy Spirit to somehow produce this child in Mary's womb. We have no reference point for this, but the angel does say, with God, nothing is impossible. So we know we're going to be tapping into the same creative power that God used to speak all of creation into existence. With God, nothing is impossible. So Mary, he's going to do in you what is impossible by any other means. This can't happen by a freak of nature. This can't happen by genetic mutation. This can only happen by the all-powerful hand of God. And everything that I have just said was dumped in Mary's lap in less than a five-minute conversation. Right? So you're just sitting home drinking your coffee, thinking about what you're going to do today, and Gabriel shows up and drops this on you. Think about that. How could she process this? How did she process this? Well, how would you process it? Put yourself in her place. How would you process these events... I don't know if it was in her bedroom. I don't know if it was at the kitchen table. I don't know if she was out in the garden. I don't know where she was. All I know is that the angel shows up and life absolutely, radically transforms in a second, in a matter of moments. 
So what does she do? She does kind of what we'd expect. She, the Bible says she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greetings these might be. She is disturbed by a message from heaven. We have a big theological word for this. It's called numinous. What numinous means is when you get a little too close to the spiritual realm and it freaks you out. So what the heck was that? And, and everybody has had a little of that who's been born again. And many, many people who are not born again have a little of that. The, the world is filled with interest in the paranormal because of numinous. Everybody's interested. You know, YouTube's got more weirdness on it than you can fit on the internet. I, I don't know. I don't know where these people come up with these ideas. But I, I want to tell you, the source is numinous. The source is we are material creatures living in a material world. But every now and then we brush up against the spiritual. We go, what the heck was that? Well, that's going on in Mary's life in a major way. What the heck? Just imagine, here's Gabriel. He's probably glowing. What the heck are we dealing with here? And she is troubled by this message from heaven. So one of the takeaways from this is not every encounter with God is pleasant. Not every encounter with God is what we would want it to be. Not every encounter with God is warm and loving, even though this is the greatest act of redemption that's ever happened. Mary is troubled by it. And don't, don't minimize what Mary's going through because of the brevity of the language, because these statements are so simplistic. They're so... They're so basic. It's so easy to read it and never come to grips with what's really going on. That's why I want you to be there. I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Do you think this would be like, oh, yeah, really? Okay, well, um, you know, just make sure that it doesn't interfere with my plans to go to Nevada. Because, you know, I'm going to Vegas for a couple of weeks, so could we arrange this uh, supernatural birth maybe sometime in uh, March or something? You know, it's so casual. We read it and it's so casual. And that's the way we approach God many times. We can be so casual about our salvation. So casual that we have received the most amazing miracle known to man. Stone sinner made saint. By an impossible act of God. Oh yeah, I'm saved. Oh yeah. yeah I, we talk to people all the time. We do all kinds of outreach. People come, hey, are you saved? Are you born again? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm saved. Oh yeah. Me and the man upstairs, you know. Yeah, it's all cool, man. It's all cool. You go to church? Where do you go to church? Oh, you know, I don't go to church. This is the most amazing aspect of your life. And you don't go to church. I don't think you understand. <laughs> What's that line? 
I don't think that word salvation means what you think it means. I don't think it's as simplistic as you think. You have been touched by God. Why would God touch you? Do you ever stop and ask that? Why would God even know you exist? Oh, because I'm who I am. Of course he knows I exist. Everyone knows I exist. <laughs> what kind of narcissist are you? We are talking about God reaching into your life and doing the most amazing thing he could possibly do. And, and what we do, I think part of the problem is we scale God down to manageable terms. If we really pondered what God has done in our lives every day, and I think we should, but if we really went deep, took a deep dive, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe our brains would melt. Maybe it would simply be too much for us to know how to deal with. And the truth of the matter is we don't really want this kind of encounter with God. We don't really want Christianity to be as challenging as this moment is in Mary's life. We don't really want soul-staggering challenges to our faith. This is, a, this is changing this girl's life in major ways. This is turning her entire world upside down. You know, we'd rather just kind of go to a Disneyland church and we just kind of, you know, just kind of like to just show up and, and get a few uh, merit points for heaven and move on, right? Let's not do anything too challenging. Let's not take this too far. We want to be used by God, but in very natural and predictable ways. We sure don't want God to call us to be a, a missionary to Africa. We sure don't want God to upset our career plans. We sure don't want God to meddle in the choices we make in life. We'd like God to just sort of behave himself, right? I don't like the idea of being troubled by God. But that comes with the turf, beloved. And if you've never been troubled by God, I don't know if you know the God I know. Because God is the kind of God that doesn't leave well enough alone. God is the kind of God who will trouble you. When you're in the middle of doing something you shouldn't do, he'll trouble you. When you're in the middle of trying to find the will of God, he'll trouble you. Oh, no, no, we want, a, we want a Sunday morning God. We want a God who minds his own business. You are his business. Amen. And he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to trouble you. And then the angel says something to him, this troubling angel, this angel with this troubling annunciation, says, be not afraid. That wasn't rhetoric. That wasn't biblical language, what angels say when they pop in on us. Be not afraid. Right? We've seen that in all kinds of places in the Bible. Be not afraid. Again, it, the problem is the language becomes so commonplace for us. 
But when he says, be not afraid, I imagine he's speaking to Mary who's going, be not afraid. Yes, easy for you to say. I didn't walk into your room. Be not afraid. He's saying this because if Mary needs to hear anything, she needs to hear that. She needs to hear, this is going to work out. I've got this. Don't freak. Don't panic. Stay calm. We're going to go through something here that's going to absolutely blow your mind. But it's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. You know, pregnancy and delivery is intimidating even today. I deal with counseling, and, and I'm always dealing with women who are pregnant, and, and you know, you know women when they're pregnant. They're just weird. You know, their hormones are like, boing, and they're just, they're all over the map, and you're trying to, you're trying to calm them down, and you know, don't kill your husband, you're going to need him when the baby comes, and and, and there's, you know, there's, there's all of these concerns and all of these difficulties. And that's in a world where delivering a baby is a procedure. It's not, it's not all that fraught. You know, I'm not trying to minimize it. I know there are certain risks. But, but with modern medicine, it's, it's become fairly doable. Uh, and, I, you know, again, I understand there are losses and there are things that happen. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that there is no concern that you should just go into this and just it doesn't mean anything. I, I get it. But I want to say that delivering a baby now is nowhere near as fraught as 2,000 years ago. Right? When they didn't have plan B and plan C. You're either going to do this or you're not. Right? No, we, we can't give you any, what do they call it, the pain blocker? The, yeah, epidural. There were no epidurals, right? <laughs> you know, here, bite this root. Okay. Okay, a girl, go for it. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, having a baby was a little more challenging. Ah, but we're not just talking about having a baby. We're talking about having God. So we have just moved this thing a quantum leap beyond childbirth. This woman finds herself in the most impossible situation to process intellectually. There's, there's simply no way to deal with this. And so the angel says, have no fear. He's not, just, he's not just throwing out some pithy saying. He's not just saying, you know, here, here's a have no fear magnet. Put it on your refrigerator. You're going to be all right. Now, he is speaking to an inner turmoil that we can't even comprehend. And he's speaking words that she needs to hear. Now again, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt fear in the face of what God has called you to? Have you ever been a you to go make it right with someone you've wronged? 
been afraid to confess your sin to your wife or to your husband. Been afraid of what could happen down the road. Been afraid by the reality of the unpredictability of just living. We've all been there. We're talking about something way, way beyond that, and yet we have that commonality. We have that reality where we know what it is to be afraid of something, uh, and what we need is for God to give us a handle that we can hold on to. Uh, Be not afraid. This is going to work out. You can trust me. And we have them all over the Bible. Be not afraid. God says it in so many places. I've read that he says it 365 times. That really isn't quite accurate. But it's a nice thought that he gives us a be not afraid for every day of our lives. I 31.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes. And so that's a promise to you. That's a promise to all of us when we're facing uh, the challenges of life. So we can relate on a smaller scale, but we can relate to how Mary's says, don't worry, it's going to be all right. She's trying to embrace it, and she's trying to get her head around it, and she says, but how? How can this possibly happen? Have you ever asked how? Have you ever been confronted with, you know, making rent? How? How's that going to happen? How's God going to work that out? Well, the angel's answer isn't really helpful. The Holy Spirit, meet the need. You'll remember a different how happening just a couple of months before this one with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Maybe, and she's old, and her husband's old, and, and she has a hard time processing, processing this. And actually, the angel didn't come to her. He came to Zechariah. Your wife's going to have this baby. And Zechariah gets all weird and, and unbelieving, and he challenges the angel, and he says, how am I supposed to believe that? It's a different how. How, how do I know that what you're telling me is true, Gabriel, is kind of a... a, a an insulting statement. It's, I don't believe, but how do I know that you're telling me the truth, right? God strikes him mute. That's appropriate. I I wish God would do that with everybody who lived in unbelief. Everybody who says, I don't believe God, boom! I'm going to shut you down until you can get your head on straight. That's the kind of house she's asking. She's asking for navigational help here. And As we've seen, the angel doesn't give her a lot of help. But what's so amazing is that at this moment, with all these questions and all of the fear and every word, that is the real gem of this story. Because if you've been tracking with truly unbelievable story, Mary's response is a response of amazing trust. I don't know how to deal with any of this, but you know what, God? If this is what you want, have your way. Is that how you respond? (laughs) Fix it, Pastor, fix it! I don't have a clue how to fix it. You You don't know how to fix it. Nobody knows how to fix it. Well, nobody knows how to fix it. What would I have said to Mary? Pastor Lamb, 
An angel came into my room and said, I'm going to have the Son of God. I just said, commit yourself. You need to shrink. Learn the lesson of Mary. She knows God's in this. Listen, God is in your life. He knows He knows more. He knows about Joe Biden. That one's hard for me. That one's like, no, you couldn't have known about Joe Biden. You would never have let the most powerful nation in the world. But God did. I bet you God and Gabriel probably up there going, it's a good one, isn't it? God knows it all. He knows how crazy the world is. He knows about the fires in Portland. You know what? I'm going to use it for my glory. And then I'm going to take care of it all. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just trust me. But listen, it's more than just trust. As we follow the narrative to its conclusion, there are a couple of other things. All that transpires. Angels again. We're back into supernatural. We're back into weird. We're back into all kinds of stuff that doesn't really make sense. We don't really have a file for it. But and this is, this is the, the most up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She's seeing the fulfillment of Gabriel's word. She's hearing about the angels, and she's going, wow. And she's processing it. Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to Israel. And it says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So put those two pictures together. She held it in her heart and pondered. She marveled. There's, a, there's an element here of what me to do. She's accepted the task. She has no idea how it's going to come to pass. But as it comes to pass, she becomes more something more extraordinary. I think the more you're saved and the longer you're saved, you should be consumed with wonder, marvel, pondering the things that God does for you in your heart. But we're dealing with God's word. When God speaks to you, it should blow your mind. Can God still blow your mind? Oh, no, I've been saved way too long for God to blow my mind well, then you've been going down the wrong path. You need to get back on the right path. Because if you're following God, he will blow your mind. He will absolutely blow your mind. How do you process this story? We know now how Mary processed it. We know that she dealt with it through the means that we would expect any other human in her situation to process it through the trouble, through the fear, through the ultimate surrender. The trust, okay, and then the wonder that springs out of all of that. So let me ask you about Christmas. Are you obsessed with all the details? The meals, the family gatherings, your Uncle Joe. Start going, man, Uncle Joe's coming. This is, is there any way we can kill Uncle Joe before he gets here? Are you hung up on all of the... The difficulties, maybe you're feeling financial pressures. 
Maybe you're feeling like you, you know, you don't have enough resource to give the gifts that you really want to give, the wow stuff. Maybe it's all about office parties. Maybe it's all about decorations. Uh, maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's stuff that's totally irrelevant. It's very, very strange. Stuff that's totally irrelevant. It's very, very strange. Are you caught up in what Christ, Christmas has devolved into? It's simply another holiday season of the world. Just another materialistic debauchery. Where, and it's just, you know, business as usual. Christmas will never be business as usual. And if you're processing Christmas the same way you always process Christmas, then, then you ought to maybe... Does the Christmas narrative leave you as stunned? Does the Christmas narrative leave you as stunned as it must have left Mary? Maybe for your sins. That he came to earth and clothed himself as a human. Righteously. He lived it without ever blowing it. Without ever saying the wrong thing. Without ever telling a lie. Without ever lusting. Without ever giving himself to some self-destructive addictive habit. He lived life the way it was meant to be lived. And then he offered that life for our salvation. He bled out on a cross so that we could be forgiven. So that somehow God could take his sacrifice and apply it to us. And make us pure and forgiven in the eyes of God by a supernatural act. See, have you lost that? Are you even aware that that's what this Christmas is about? If you're here today, you're not living for Jesus, do you even know what it's about? Or are you just going to go spend it at the bar the way you do every other Christmas? Just going to live and live your Christmas alone. How many people live Christmas alone? It's, it's sad because you never have to be alone. Because God has always said, I will be with you. I'll never forsake you. And he puts the orphans in families. He, he takes folks like us and embeds us in a church full of people that actually give a flip. And he changes our whole life. Why? Because of Christmas. Because Christmas is an amazing thing. For God to go this far to redeem us, implies that maybe our sin is a little more serious than just one beer. Maybe our sin needs a drastic solution because sin itself is a drastic thing. And sin itself requires something supernatural to fix it, to right it. You're never going to make yourself right. You can go check yourself into Betty Ford all week long. You're never going to get it right. You can take all of your money and give it away to poor people. You're not going to get it right. You can't do this without God. You can't do this without a miracle. You're never going to make heaven your home without God doing this supernatural, gobsmacking, remarkable reality coming to earth to redeem you. I wonder today if there's anybody here who has not said 
let it be done. Understand? I don't know this works, but I know I need it. Because one thing I know beyond argument, I'm a sinner. And this is the only way has come. The word declared it. How do you process it? How are you processing the most important epic of history? This you're this, you're that. You, no. Listen to me. Sin knows no color. Sin knows no generation. All sin knows is you and how it will destroy you. That's what sin is about. And you're a sinner just like me. And I'm a see you like you can argue semantics till the cows come home, but at the end of the day, we are all sinners and we all need Jesus Christ into the earth to the sin that starts out light, the sin that starts out enjoyable, the sin that was a lot of fun 20 years ago, but now it's nothing but an addiction. Now it's nothing but a soul-breaking reality. Now it's nothing but something that you have no answer for. Oh, it was great when you were 16. Now that you're 30, it ain't so great. And now that you're you need a miracle. Christ he didn't come to solve world hunger. He didn't come to solve political dissension. He didn't come to solve, you know, all of the insanity. What he came to do was to save us from sin. All those other things. Listen to me. If, if every human heart on this planet would just bow and say, let it, me be, let it be done to me according to your word. If every human being took that posture of trust and wonder and let God be God, this world would be a completely different world and all of the problems that you can think of would not exist. World hunger would not exist because we'd feed each other. All of the sin-caused uh, uh, diseases, diabetes and heart problems and all of the things that come through sin, sinful lifestyles, sinful behaviors, none of them would exist because God would have dealt with the sin in every heart. But as long as we continue to insist on sin, the world will never change. And unfortunately, the Bible makes it clear, most people aren't ever going to open their heart to Christ. Most people are not ever going to allow God to be God. Most people will die in their sin. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the parable of the sower that 75% are going to die in their sin. They're never going to know God. And if you look at other scriptures, the, the numbers go up. Most people will never bow the knee because most people are too proud and most people are too self-satisfied in their sin and most people don't believe. But maybe this morning, I can get through to one or two who would say, let it be done to me according to God's word. I am a sinner. I need salvation. I need a miracle. Let it be done to me. If that's you this morning, raise your hand right where you're seated and say, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my heart. I need my sins forgiven and removed. I need a miracle that I can't do myself or for myself. I need God to do something in my life that I can't do by myself. Raise your hand right where you're seated. I am a sinner and I need saving. I see that hand, sir. 
Others would join this honest heart. Amen. You can put that hand down. Others would join this honest heart. And you would say, yes. You would say, yes, I know I'm a sinner. I didn't know how. I, didn't, I, I had no religious file cabinet. I, ha, I had no way of processing the whole salvation thing, the whole Jesus thing. I, I didn't know how to deal with it. All I knew was that Christians that I had relationship with were different kinds of creatures than I was. And I knew that I was a sinner. And I knew I needed something that I didn't have. If that's you, raise your hand right where you're seated. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I'm not a Christian. I'm not born again. I need a miracle this morning. Maybe you're a backslider. Maybe you used to live for God with your whole heart. And you know what? There was a time when you trusted God implicitly. And there was a time when your life was filled with the wonder of salvation. But this morning, not so much. And you're backslidden. And of course you're backslidden. Because you lost that wonder and you lost that trust. You didn't follow through when, when you said to God, do what you will. I'm all in. And this morning, God is challenging you. He's challenging you to, maybe you're troubled by that. You're troubled by the challenge of that. Well, welcome to God's world. And that's exactly what you need to embrace. You need to say, you know what? I blew it. I didn't live it. I didn't follow through, but I believe God can save me. I believe God can help me. If you're backslidden this morning, raise your hand. Say, pray for me. I need the help of God. I need Jesus Christ to do something very real in my life, something I've lost, and I need God to help me. I see this hand. Who else? Join this honest heart. I see this hand in the back. God bless you, ma'am. Who else? Join these honest hearts. I want each one of you that raised your hand to come to the altar. Hallelujah. You raised your hand over here. You raised your hand. Hallelujah. Amen, Gene. Head him off at the pass. Speaking to Christians here. Speaking to Christians. How does Christmas impact you? How does it impact your life? How do you process this time of year? <laughs> do you go into debt, run up the credit cards until you have destroyed the rest of your life? <laughs>